You ready to start this, baby, Chucky? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Welcome back to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in, for sending me messages about the podcast. And Chuck, I don't think I shared this with you, but I got a lot of positive feedback from people about us being on the road while we recorded our podcast. They said it was kind of fun to listen to the background of what was happening. So news to everybody, we will be recording again. Hopefully we will have time next week to record in the heart of New York City. Yeah, maybe we'll go um, go across to Central Park. That would be fantastic. That'd be a lot of fun. Take some photos, maybe do some some selfies with anybody who wants to be a part of our show. <laughs> uh, some interesting characters. The hot dog guy and the, why yeah. not? Why the not? coffee guy and yeah, why not? It's a part of New York. <laughs> uh, hey, what do you want to start with? We've got uh, two movies opening this week locally. We have another one that opened um, in select theaters. That would be The Fablemans. We can hold off on that one, I think. What do you think? That's fine. Okay. So would you like to start with Lady Chatterley's Lover or Violent Night? Two polar opposite films. <laughs> I want to start with Bones and All. Oh, okay. Let's chat about Bones and because All. Because I am stunned that you even watched that movie? Um, I will admit that it took me um, two seatings. I sat down and watched the first probably half hour. Um, and then I watched the second part of it, if you will, the, the next night. Um, I have very mixed feelings about it, but there are so many elements to this film that I really did enjoy. Mm -hmm. Are you shocked? Are you still shocked? No, because it's... You know, it is made with a definitely an artistic bent. I mean, there are a lot of good things in it. Um, for those of you who don't know what Bones and All is, is it's basically a road movie uh, with two young cannibals who fall in love. I mean, that's in it in a nutshell. Um, Timothy Chalamet is one of the uh, flesh eaters. And then the young woman, uh, who basically is the main character in the film. Actress that I had... Uh, not been aware of. Uh, and um, I was quite impressed with her, but um, the whole story revolves around her character more than anything. And her name is Taylor Russell. That's the actress's name. Um, she's abandoned by her father. Her character is Marin. And um, she knows something's different about her. Her dad kind of clues her in. And uh, so she goes looking for her mom, who she's never met, to try and get some answers as to why she basically wants to eat people and um you know the odyssey begins um you know i thought for the first hour maybe hour and 15 that this was a classic as far as the horror genre was concerned um i liked this reminded me a lot of henry portrait of a serial killer in that it just gave you that real world aesthetic with henry it was like you're walking down the street in chicago everything's fine but in the real world it drove home the fact that this monster is there. And I got that same point with this film as far as these horrible things happening right under our noses or just one wall away in an apartment building or, you know, and then and, and that really drove home the horror of the film to me. Um, I think it really jumps the tracks in the third act. And a couple of coincidences occur that I just couldn't buy. Yeah, and I would agree. That really that. hurt the film. It, it did, didn't it? It, yeah. You know, the, the first part, I was, 
really intrigued, like what's going on here? Why does this girl have this need to eat Mm -hmm. flesh? (laughs) Um, There's got to be something more to that aspect of the story. I, 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 that one is a double-edged coin or sword for me because they don't really say that there's a need. It's not like they're vampires going out. It's not like Mm -hmm. uh, the Santa Clarita diet where, you know, she's in order to live, she has to go eat some people. Um, this is just pure pleasure, um, which did you, I think did you ever see that? Did you ever see that French film Raw? Uh, I did not make it through. Okay, because that's very similar to this. Yeah, I I I didn't make it through that one for much similar reasons why I almost didn't make it through this one. Um, it was uh, let me let me back up though with you know them needing wanting not needing to eat flesh um and it was just for pure pleasure which i think is what everyone is talking about those those direct parallel lines of addiction and you're doing something mm-hmm. not because you have to because you but because you want to because it gives you so much pleasure and i think you know alcoholism drugs i mean you name the addiction and you know why do you do it it's because you get that immediate rush that immediate gratification Um, So they ignore societal values and norms um, in order to satisfy their wants, their pleasure centers, if you will. Um, Mm -hmm. So that one to me was kind of a a double-edged sword in that I liked it and then I didn't like it. Um, I thought that that, says something about their characters. It it does. It does. I mean, that's something that's very important about them. Right. Um, I also, I did not even recognize Chloe and I never say her last name, right? So mm. like, hey, I didn't Sydney. even recognize her. Yeah. Like, she looks familiar. Those eyes look familiar. Oh my God, that's Chloe. <laughs> I had to look it up too. I thought it was her, but I wasn't sure. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Um, and I would, I, I enjoyed the ride. Um, it was too graphically <laughs> brutal for me. Um, Chuck, what has happened, and you and I have talked about this with some of the older movies, the classics, if you will, and especially with horror, when your mind is worse than what you could ever see on the screen, nothing is left to your imagination anymore. And that is a flaw with this film, if you ask me, because I think they had so much going for it artistically. Why did they have to go into the gruesomeness of that? I didn't, that turned me off. I didn't mind that. And, you know, I know this is going to sound silly for the next movie that we're going to talk about, but I felt that that was necessary here to show just how denigrated the characters become. You were just talking about how this is a choice and, you know, they don't have to do this, but they're looking for that gratification. I think this just showed how far they had sunk morally. Uh, to commit this act. And so I think to a certain degree um, that the, the graphic violence was was necessary. Um, maybe too much, but again, I didn't mind it as much as the next film because it seems though they were trying to make a point. It made sense within the framework of the story. It wasn't gratuitous in my mind, even though it was graphic, if that makes sense. It, that does. It's it's not gratuitous like another movie that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Right, right. <laughs> um, There's no, no reason for that. There's a reason for this. There is a reason. I just, I, I think that this is an artistic film, as you called it. I think that it's going to turn a huge audience off because 
they delve so deeply into the shock value of the graphicness. You know, there was also, a, a, well, you, you said it jumped the rails in the third act. And, and I do agree with you with that those coincidences, come on, give me a break. Really? And then the ending, yeah, really? are you no. kidding me? I did not like no. the ending at all. Um, me, me, me neither. And I was watching it with my, my, um, my other uh, film partner, Kristen, <laughs> she came over to watch it with me. She does not like horror movies at all. She's stuck with it. Way to go, Kristen, if you're listening. And she actually had a better way to wrap up these characters together that I thought was ingenious. And I'll tell you when, I don't want to ruin it for everybody, but you know, when we're off the air, I'm right. going to tell you what she thought of. And I thought, man, that would have been a much better story to tell, but oh, well. Yeah, it, it, it's funny that the movie gets lazy. It gets lazy at the end. Yeah, I think that's it. And that surprised me. Yeah, yeah, especially with this filmmaker. It was also, it was kind of fun to see, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Michael Stahlberg. Mark Rylance. Oh, yeah. No, Michael Stahlberg. He was frightening. Timothy, he was frightening. He was frightening. It, and uh, Timothy Chalamet together because they were in Call Me By Your Name together playing a father and son. So it was really awesome to see michael transform himself into this really bizarre character yeah yeah he was um, scary so i think this one is i think it's been nominated for two awards um he hasn't won anything yet we're just in the beginning of this whole award thing anyway um but he's they've been uh this has been nominated for i think an independent spirit award for best feature and i think maybe best actress or best supporting actress i can't remember which so it'll be interesting see to see what else it does. Yeah, I, I can too. I wouldn't put it in best picture category though because of the issues that we just discussed. Mm -hmm. That's yep, my I agree. But I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I'm trying to watch absolutely everything, whether or not it makes me have the dry heaves or not. And yes, I did dry heave <laughs> through part of this movie. I can imagine you did. <laughs> if it was only once, you were lucky. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It was more than once. So especially that one of those final scenes, and I think you know. Uh -huh. Yes, I I almost lost it. Kristen goes, "What's your problem?" I'm like, "I I'm gonna throw up." <laughs> so did you drive heave at all while watching Violent Night? Um, I did not dry heave at all. I I laughed a couple of times. Believe it or not. Probably more times than you. Um, and, and then I just got disgusted. Mm -hmm. Which is too bad because, you know what, before we talk any more about Violent Night, I don't want to skew our audience too much. I'd like to play a couple of clips from the interview that we had with the star of the film, badass Santa himself, David Harbour. Um, you know, in the movie, it's it's kind of fun to see that you have a little girl who really, really wants to believe in Santa Claus. And her parents are saying, well, eventually at one point, nope, no such thing. Can you tell me, does that elicit, because that's the first thing I thought of is, you know, my memory of learning there was no Santa. What's your memory of that? Yeah, I, I don't remember. I remember really believing pretty hard in Santa Claus. And like, you know, I just remember things sticking out to me like the... Um, the milk and cookies being drank and eaten and the morning after just being like so convinced that there had that couldn't have been my parents like there's no i mean that had to have been some guy who came into our house and then I, but i think it's just and i don't remember the actual moment it must have been something in like i guess it's like fourth or fifth grade maybe like 10 oh, wow. nine, mm -hmm. and okay was that, is that late when were you no, like, not at we all. like not four at all. we were like at four i was like no way there's no guy coming into our house what are you talking about Chuck, can you believe that? I think 
I think it was like nine or ten for me. And it's just like I would I still believed, and I think my friends were just like, You're stupid, it's your parents. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> just so the big question is, David Harbour, what do you want for Christmas? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I want I would like people to go see this movie for Christmas. <laughs> and then, I mean, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty good. I I I don't need very much. I've been, you know, I live pretty simply, but in a general sense, I would just love for my family to feel safe and happy. That's about all I all I want. Well, I guess we'll see if you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> right? I guess we'll see. We'll see. So in all honesty, Chuck. I had more fun with our interview than I did the movie. How about you? Me too. Me too. And it it, it almost make, pains me to give this a bad review because <clears throat> obviously, obviously Harbor had fun and he has great hopes for this. But yeah, I just can't do it. The interview was fun. The, the interview was fun. So if you don't know what Violent Night is about and you looked at the poster and you based on the poster whether or not you wanted to go see the movie and you said no... <laughs> made the right choice because let me tell you i if, if it weren't for the interview with david harbour i probably would not have seen this movie uh not even probably i wouldn't have seen this movie it's blood spattered all over the place santa looks like he's been in a couple fights he's smoking a candy cane that looks like a cigar he's he looks like a total wreck um he basically is caught off guard on christmas night trying to save a little girl who still believes in santa claus who's being held captive in a house by a bunch of thieves and mercenaries um headshots bullet headshots um people blood splattering all over the place um people dying left and right i felt like i was watching a john wick movie i know you take offense at that because i know you like the john wick series i do not this was gratuitously violent um and i think that and we talked a little bit about those. Uh, I had said tonal shifts to you and you had issue with me saying that it tries to be cheeky and cute. And then it goes back to being horrifically violent. I <clears throat> struggled with that. I didn't think they, I don't think they knew who their audience was for this. Who's your audience? What are you, what are you playing to? We've got home alone in, in like horrible, horrible home alone, like making it as graphically violent as possible home alone. And then we have a cute little girl who still wants to believe in Santa Claus. And then the ending was just, this is a movie of missed opportunities. We, right. get a brief, we get a brief glimpse of Santa in the past. One quick scene. And he seems to have been some warrior from the Middle Ages who really had a violent streak. And that's all we see. We don't get any background as to who this guy was, how he became Santa, what the deal is. And that would have been interesting. Wouldn't that have been fun to find out? I totally yeah. agree. I think that that's where the story should have gone. You know? Yeah, I mean... Exactly. What, what? What? Why is he that way? And they, and they they refer. If if you're not going to explore that, don't even put that other scene in there. Just leave it right. alone. Right. You know, again, I didn't get any tonal shifts here because it was supposed to be tongue in cheek all the way, and it never was for me because the violence just snapped me out of it every time. And that's another difference between the violence here and the violence in Bones and All, and the violence in John Wick. <clears throat> I shouldn't be paying too much attention to it to the point to where it takes me out of the story. With bones and all, like I said, I I, th I felt it felt part of the what they were trying to say. Okay. With and, John and, Wick, with John Wick, it's not nearly as bloody. You're uh, gonna have to sit through the fourth one. The the kill is really high. The kill count's really high, but it is bloody. You're absolutely right. 
<laughs> However, you alluded to the fact that there's a story in John Wick, and I take issue with that. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, Violent Night. Uh, I I can't even say enough bad things about. It. Yeah, that's, that's because it made me feel bad. bad. It made yeah. me feel horrible to think that people are going to go to this and be entertained. That bothers me. So I'm sorry to say that, you know, as much as we loved chatting with David Harbour and I love some of his movies that he's done, especially those dramatic roles, I cannot tell you enough times to not see this in the theaters. Yeah, exactly right. Oh, well. And that was an hour and 52 minutes long. Do you know that? Oh, yeah. I felt every minute. What were they thinking when they did that? All right, let's go on to a Netflix movie that is streaming today. And it is called Lady Chatterley's Lover. Chuck, have you read Lady Chatterley's Lover? Many years ago. Oh, did you? Okay, okay. Um, I did as well. I'm sure that's not shocking to you. Um, and uh, it's a story by D.H. Lawrence. And I really like D.H. Lawrence. Um, I got turned on to him when I was... God, I want to say I was in like maybe fifth grade and we read the rocking horse winner. Isn't that bizarre? That is bizarre. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> that was my first taste of understanding the written word as symbolism and not just concrete meaning. So I really like D.H. Lawrence a lot. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want, I don't even know what, if I want to think about how old I was when I, I read it, probably too young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it's directed by Laure de Clermont-Tonnerre. And nice. we, we, thank you, we interviewed her. Do you remember interviewing her for the Mustang? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I love that film. I did too. And I can see that the ambiance and the chemistry and the, there's almost an ethereal feel to the film. Mm-hmm. And I think that's her signature. I think that's how she creates a feeling in, in these images and how they come together. If you don't know what Lady, Ch- Lady Chatterley's Lover is about, it's about um, a woman who has just been recently married. This takes back in the what, early 1900s, 1920s, I believe it is. No, before During that, 19, 1917, okay. 1917, 1918, because we're dealing with World War I. Right, okay. Uh, we've got Lady Chatterley, who's played by Emma Corrin, and she is marrying the debonair, the dashing Clifford Chatterley, and it's played by Matthew Duckett. Um, he's quite the well-to-do guy, but that doesn't keep him out of the war. In fact, he's going back to the front lines as soon as they are married, and he is scared shitless about going back. Well, the worst doesn't happen, but he does come back in a wheelchair. Well, Connie, played by Emma Corrin, um, and Clifford are, no, they're getting off to a rocky start because they don't really have the kind of marriage that a young couple really wants to have physically, intellectually, emotionally. That is kind of all to the wayside because of what Clifford is dealing with, with being in a wheelchair. Um, they realize that they aren't going to be going to produce an heir to their kingdom, if you will. And so Clifford nonchalantly says, hey, yo, Connie, I think, you know, if you want to go go procreate with somebody else, make it a good choice and create an heir to our throne, go for it. Well, that angers her, but there's something, that little seed has been planted in her head and she gets a glimpse of one of the, the people that work on the estate, the gamekeeper. 
Oliver, played by Jack O'Connell, and boy, does she get a glimpse of him, and then the wheels start turning. There is chemistry and all sorts of things going on here as the two connect and become lovers. There's an affair between two of them. Oliver is also married, but he is estranged from his wife, who um, is living off with some other guy. So we've got two married couples, an affair going on, and back in those kind of days, everything is prim and proper. My God, please don't do that, because you will be... Um, I don't know, excommunicated from the church and all sorts of horrible things. This is risque. This is risque, as risque as maybe even more so than the book, if I recall. It's uh, pretty graphic, too. We see a lot. And it's not everyone's taste. This is definitely not going to be for youngsters, and it's not for everyone as um, the love scenes, the sex scenes. They're pretty they're pretty intimate. Um, although I, it sounds like maybe Chuck, you and I disagree on this one. I thought it was beautifully done and shows us the love between these two people and the connection that they have and the need for, especially back in that day when women, women were really more property and, and marriages were arranged for financial and political reasons more so than love. And now we're focusing on, on love. So and, and independence, and also a woman who needs something. Well, that's not heard of back in that day, you know. I mean, women who have an emotional need, a physical need. People didn't talk about. The people still struggle talking about that now. And I think this this kind of gives rise to the fact, no pun intended, that that is something that's important and an equal relationship. Well, I, I don't know why you said, you know, we disagreed. I I liked the film. Okay. I, okay. I, I thought it was beautiful to look at. I like Corin and O'Connell primarily because they're they also they make sure that they remind us that the characters are vulnerable. Okay, this isn't just you know about sex. It's not just about passion. It's about them trying to find some degree of happiness, <clears throat> and we see them both you know at, at bad moments, and that makes them more human and, and human and much more relatable. Um, I guess the the only objection I have to the film is that I wish it had done more. Uh, as far as if I remember the book correctly, you know, we get much more into this whole labor strike thing with the miners okay. and and how, you know, the husband gets into that and is trying to do something. But it really shows just how callous he is. Right. And, you know, and, and how working conditions and how, you know, people are abused. I wanted more of the relationship with uh, Emma. I'm sorry, Connie and the school teacher. There's a school teacher in town. Right. And we get two scenes with her and she's got a more traditional, you know, family, got kids, uh, everything like that. And if I remember correctly, there's more that happens there to give her a bit more of a perspective. So, you know, I, I think it's a good movie. I just think it could have been greater had it concentrated and developed a few of these other things a little yeah, bit more. You know, I think I think those those steamy love scenes that we see, they're they're they do take quite a long time. We're watching for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. If they, and I agree with the whole um, husband with Clifford being much more of a cad. And initially we feel sorry for him because he's in a wheelchair and he comes back and he can't do the things that he used to do. And he needs help <clears throat> on people. I mean, that's a horrible situation to be in, but then we get a, a greater sense as to who this man really is emotionally and how he feels he's superior to everyone else. And He's a bit of a dick, I mean, so you don't feel I, so bad. Well, right. Him, you know? And, and I, need, yeah. I needed more of that. I mean, and, we and, get and, one and, scene where he, we really see that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I would and, agree and, with you. And I, I, I also wanted more with the um, with uh, Miranda Richardson. 
or is it Jolie Richardson, the old uh, the woman oh, who comes Jolie, in to yeah. take care of him? You know, she used to be his nursemaid when he was a kid. She comes back, and I love the fact that she speaks up for Connie. You know, when others in the in the village are, are right. talking, you know, you know, bad stuff. She's like, wait a second, wait a second. You don't really know what's going on. Right. Uh, and so I appreciated that. And I wanted more of her. <clears throat> you know, it just it seemed as though the film was like a Cliff Notes version of the novel, except where it came to the sex. You know, they really, really were concentrating on the good part. They, yeah, they did. They, they definitely you know. concentrated on the sex. Definitely. Yeah. Did. And, Which, and again, I, I like the film. I just wanted a little bit more. Okay. All right. All right. So you can stream that on Netflix starting today. Um, I also kind of wanted to talk a little bit. Someone who um, had commented on our Facebook uh, page, if you want to take a look at this, Real Talk with Chuck and Pam on Facebook, and um, asking about why is it that Glass Onion is dragging its heels on release ah. on Netflix, uh-huh. and it's yeah. already been released in theaters, but it had a very, very limited release, and not just as far as the number of theaters, but also in the time in that it was only out for one week. I have my theory about that. Do you have a theory about that, Chuck? Well, I, you know, they they want to um, they want to qualify for the Oscars, right? The film has got to play in at least one commercial theater before the end of the year, so they want to do that. And I think it's also Netflix kind of dipping their toe uh, into this whole thing. I mean, two biggest theater chains, uh, AMC and uh, I believe Regal, they didn't want anything. They said we're never showing Netflix films, but they did here. They did with this film. And I think this is, they're starting to break down that wall so that they can start maybe doing this a little bit more often, especially with these big movies. I mean, they paid over $600 million for two Knives Out movies, okay? So they got another one coming down the pike and they're gonna need every sort of revenue stream they can possibly have to justify all this. What do you think? Um, I was thinking, and obviously they do have to play in a theater. I think it's like, New York and LA, isn't it? Both New York and LA. It's nope, not just one theater somewhere. Okay, so some one theater somewhere. They've changed that, then, huh? I I don't know. Okay. okay. Anyway, um, so obviously for that reason. But then I was also thinking, if you put it out there, you know, way before it's going to stream on your platform, how many new subscribers are you going to get? Because you're going to have glass onion. So yeah, but what do you what do you mean? Are well, are you, it's gotten are you rave re- it's gotten rave reviews. It's been in the theater, okay. so it's going to have word of mouth right there. So you've got two huge platforms of of an ent- of entities saying this is an amazing fun film. You've got to see it. How am I going to see it? Ah, oh, I missed the one week opening that it had. Now I got to wait two or three more weeks before it's on Netflix. Looks like I'm going to sign back up for Netflix, even though I dropped my subscription. By the way, if Netflix is listening, I did not drop my subscription. I still have it. I'm just hypothetically saying. That's, that could be. That could be. And I, you know, the, the, the problem with Netflix is that they, they're very, they, they don't really reveal their numbers as far as money made at the box office or... You know, I wish they would let us know if there have if there are upticks in subscriptions once something like this happens. You know, not that they have to, but I, I would find it fascinating. You know, if we, if we knew how that was, because I'm I'm constantly wondering what their strategy is. I mean, they have more money than Davy Crockett, as Forrest Gump used to say. But I, I just wonder how they justify. I don't know. I just wonder how they 
they justify these huge outlays of money and how it's reflected in increased subscribers or is it just that they want to hang on to the subscribers they have i'd, I'd love to sit down and talk to, to one of the strategy people just for 10 minutes to see what the what the thinking is right right just gotta gotta spend money to make money i guess so i guess, I guess so you know and they're bringing in billions of dollars a month so you know nothing to sneeze at no, that definitely is not. They're making a little bit more money than you and I are as film critics, Chuck. That's true, but they are very generous where we are concerned. Oh, uh, they will sure. be they will be flying us to New York next week. We are going to do going to the Museum of Modern Art, which is going to have the uh, premiere of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio uh, on the evening of Tuesday. The is I believe that's the sixth, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll be there. Uh, can't wait to see it. And of course, the next day, we're going to be real lucky. Uh, we're going to be at a press conference with Mr. Del Toro. Uh, and he's always, I mean, in the times we've talked to him, incredibly gracious. He is. Uh, very kind. Uh, and he will take the time, I'm sure, to, even after the press conference, talk and, and discuss things. So, um, you know, check back for that, because I'm sure we're going to have some great recording of him. And he's he's just an incredibly smart, smart man. Is. And we'll do a few things out of Central Park as well, because I believe, are we staying in the same hotel? Yep, right across the street. Good, good, good. We'll be right there back home in New York City. Thanks for listening, everyone. Real Talk with Chuck and Pam.com. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and am I allowed to say Twitter anymore? I don't know if that's kosher to say that anymore. Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't, but what, what do I know? All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Check us out next week, too, to see what we're up to in New York City.